as a church, wow, yeah, you can clap for that. It's always good to clap when people say nice things about you, isn't it? Yeah. We love working with uh, many different churches and organizations here in Phoenix and around the world. We're so blessed to have so many great partners, and uh, I am thankful to the Lord for them. Today we're in Ephesians 3, verses 6 through 12. Ephesians 3, 6 through 12. We're concluding our series called Here is the Church, and today we're looking about what it means to be a church on mission, a church that reaches out. Uh, We fundamentally believe that the church does not exist for itself, but the church exists to be a blessing to the world. And so as a church family, we are striving to do that. We're going to look at Ephesians 3, 6 through 12. And uh, uh, today's service is going to be just sermon, and the latter part of the service is going to be a little different. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the gospel, then we're going to take communion, and then we're going to do the application. Okay, so gospel, then we'll take communion, and then we're going to do the application. That's the three-point outline for those of you that want to take notes, which those are not great headings, right? They're not super creative, but you know what? Tough. So... Ephesians 3, 6 through 12, I'm going to read it, and one of the things that we've noticed as we've been studying Ephesians is that the author is this dude named Paul, he's writing to a church in a place called Ephesus, and one of the things that Paul seems to do throughout the book of Ephesians is he seems to just get overwhelmed with joy, and he just kind of, I wouldn't call it rambling, but he does kind of start rambling a little bit about different things. It's actually very difficult sometimes to know what exactly Paul's talking about at at any given time. And one of the reasons for that is, is he is becoming, even as he's writing, it seems like he's becoming more and more aware of the profound, radical, amazing nature of God's grace towards his own self, towards him. And so here's Paul, he's writing, he's in a bad place, he's in prison, he's writing this letter, and he says the following, this is verse 6 through 12. This mystery, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone that is the plan, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Here is Paul. He's writing in chains. He's in prison, and he's joyous, and he's sharing with his, he goes on to say, don't be depressed because I'm in jail. Rather, be overjoyed because of the gospel. And not to put too fine a point on it, now, if you're not a Christian here today, I'm so glad you're here and you're in, you're in luck because I'm going to yell at some Christians today, so congratulations for you. Uh, there are many of us who our faith is nothing more than a box. It's a tradition. It's just something we kind of do on occasion. It's not our whole life and it doesn't cause us joy. There are some of us who we have... Um, said to ourselves, I believe 
that I'm a Christian, but all that means for some of us is that I give cognitive mental assent to certain tenets of the faith, but there are many of us who, to be blunt, okay, now here we go. There are many of us who think we're Christians because we think a certain way, but we haven't actually tasted the Lord's goodness. We, we we're bored by the gospel. When it comes time to sing, there's no, there's no nothing. There's, no, there's just no juice in the tank. And there are some of us who we follow after Jesus and we're experiencing, we, we are followers of Jesus, we are Christians, but we're experiencing a dark night of the soul. There are others of us who are in a hole right now. We're depressed or we're, we're feeling like the circumstances of life are bearing down on us and, and so we feel distant from God. There are others of us who have experienced the Lord's goodness, but we've forgotten what that feels like. We've forgotten what that means. We've forgotten what that tastes like. And one of the things that Paul shows us is that we can, because of Jesus, we can be reminded of the unsearchable, the unfathomable, the majestic, the wonderful riches of God's grace, even in the middle of a pit. In fact, I would argue that especially for those of us that are experiencing what some would call the dark night of the soul, the Lord may be, and often does, the Lord leads us through those places so that we can cling to him more profoundly, so we can know and understand his love and grace more deeply. Paul seems to experience that as well. This good news, this gospel, so Paul used the language, uh, he uses the language of mystery, the mystery hidden through the ages, and that doesn't mean like God wrote a Sherlock Holmes book and needs us to solve it. That mystery is not for us to solve, it's for God to reveal, and that mystery is the, what he says is the plan hidden through the ages, and that it's good news. So uh, you guys heard the term gospel before? You're gonna have to talk to me today, Okay. All right, you heard the term, gospel just means the good news. So that's why Paul says this gospel, he says this good news. Well, what's the good news, right? And he says we should share that good news. So first, uh, we see that the good news is that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has given his life for us. That's the good news. More on that in a moment. But moreover, we share that good news. And listen, you know this, don't you? Regardless of if you're a Christian or not, you are an evangelist. You, you, so uh, real quick, um, you've heard the term evangelical in the news lately, haven't you? Yeah, it doesn't mean what they think that means, right? Uh, yeah, it was that, what was that, Princess Bride? You keep using that word, but I don't think that word means what you think it means. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, so like people are saying, well, the evangelical, uh, the evangelical vote. I don't know what that even means. Like a vote doesn't share good news, right? Evangelism, that's the sharing of good news. That's where the word evangelical comes from, to evangelize, to, to proclaim good news. That's the work of an evangelist, right? So that, uh, listen, when you hear the word evangelical, that doesn't mean voting block. P.S., I know a lot of people who self-identify as evangelicals, they don't all vote the same. Hmm? You guys with me on that? Some of us are like, they don't? Christians are different than me? Yeah. When we evangelize, we share good news. And all of us are evangelists. If you've ever had a great meal at a good restaurant and you share that news with a friend, you've just evangelized. Right? Remember that first time you heard Pink Floyd and you just had to share it with somebody? <laughs> remember that, everybody? You guys remember all that? Our experiences are all the same, right? Easy. Pipe down over there. 
You hear good music, you hear a good album, you hear a good song, and what do you do? You gotta tell somebody about it. You, you love people in your life and you think that their life would be blessed if they just knew the good news of this restaurant, if they just heard the good news of this song, if they just understood the good news of that wonderful book uh, or that great movie. Do you see? We're all evangelizing. And there are some of us who say, you know, especially for those of us that uh, maybe are bitter at the church or we're not Christians, we're still trying to figure the Jesus thing out, and we say, you know what, that's just typical of Christians. They're just always trying to convert people. What Christians need to do, some of us say, is they should just let everybody decide for themselves what's true and what's not true. Now, if you're coming from that perspective, which I totally get, right? Don't you see that you're trying to convert me? When you say to me, Christians shouldn't evangelize, they should just let everybody decide for themselves what's true and not true, is a, an absolute truth statement that you believe that if I believed, the world would be a better place. You're trying to convert me. And P.S., like I make no bones about it. For those of us that aren't Christians, like I'm trying to convert you too. And I'm honest about it. Are you gonna be honest for trying to convert me? You see, we're all trying to convert each other. So the question isn't, should people try to convert other people or vice versa? The question is, which worldview, which understanding of the cosmos will ultimately lead to human flourishing for all people? That's the question. And so we're all trying to convert one another. And I, so I had a friend, have a friend, I, he is still my friend. And uh, his name's Doug. And Doug, um, Doug and I have this thing where every Friday we have breakfast. And one of the things that was happening a few years ago is we would have breakfast and he would kind of like start slouching over. And then he would find himself um, going for walks and then being passed out and like waking up in someone's yard kind of randomly. He was in a bicycle shop one time getting his bike fixed up and he just collapsed into one of the displays. And they couldn't figure out what was right. He couldn't figure out what was going on. This was going on for a long period of time. Couldn't figure out what was going on with him. Finally, they diagnosed it. They found out that his, the fluid in our heads that keeps your brain like healthy and surrounds your brain, his, his, his head was leaking down his spinal column and his brain was slipping down on top of his, uh, you know, Spinal cord, that's the thing. Yeah, not a doctor, obviously. <laughs> his brain was slipping out and it was causing him to just like pass out around to his and, and he's a driven, entrepreneurial, go-getter guy. And this was becoming devastating. He couldn't even think, right? He'd just kind of look at you. And it was getting more, worse and worse and worse. They kept, they went to this hospital, they went to that hospital. And all the hospitals in Arizona that, that he went to, they did a good job, but they couldn't figure out what was wrong with Doug. And so he's on the internet, he's calling people, he's going to forums, he's, he's trying to find what's going to make him whole. Finally, through what I believe to be an act of providential um, design, he discovers that there's one particular doctor in California that deals with this specific problem. He goes out there, he has a few different operations, and, he be, and he's healed. And he didn't tell anybody. Wait, is that right? What do you think he did? Come on. All those people on those forums, all those people that he'd been talking to that had the same thing, what do you think he did? He told them. Of course he told them. Do you see that the weightiness of the truth, the weightiness of the thing done, 
dictates the fervor or the vigilance that we have in sharing that truth. If I don't tell you about my favorite restaurant, I don't go to bed sleepless. But if I know that you have a disease and I know someone who knows the cure, it's on my mind, I need to be vigilant to make sure that I tell that person not to win them over to my side, not to be right, but because I love them and they need that good news. Doug, in a very very real way, was saying, you are sick like I have been sick. I can't make you whole, but I know someone who can. That's evangelism. That's sharing good news. The mystery of the gospel made known God's definite plan through the ages, he says. He says in verse six, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. What he's saying there, that Gentile language, there's this idea in the scriptures that there's Jewish people and then everybody else is Gentile. And the mystery made known to the ages is that the gospel is for all people. There's no such thing as a stereotypical Christian. There's no culture that is more Christian or less uh, able to accept Christianity than another. Jesus is for the whole world. And if we colonize Mars, them too. You better believe it, baby. I'm going on that mission trip. That sounds awesome. the story, the mystery of the ages, God has made known and revealed to us in Christ. He says that it becomes manifest in Jesus Christ, that if you want to know the story of the universe, you look at Good Friday and Easter. You look at the cross, you look at the resurrection, that's the story. You want to know what God's up to in the world? You look at Jesus. He is the manifestation of the overarching story of the cosmos. He's the climax. He's the point. All of the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's all about Jesus. It's all pointing to and explaining and unpacking and worshiping Jesus. There are many different ways that we could see this, but there's one uh, that was always a mystery to me. We talk about Paul saying that the mystery's been unveiled. Throughout the scriptures, there are these furry quadrupeds known as lambs. That. You see it in Genesis, right? You see with Abraham and Isaac. Isaac asks the dad, we've got the fire, we've got the knife, where's the lamb for this sacrifice? You have uh, at Passover, some of us are familiar with the holiday or the celebration of Passover. Passover is that uh, it's remembering a time where God's people, Israel, the children of Abraham, they, uh, they go into Egypt to be saved from a famine. While they're in Egypt, they become captives and, and are enslaved. And then as God brings them out of Egypt, one of the things he does, one of the uh, plagues that's sent through is the plague of death of the firstborn child, firstborn son. And in order for the family, for the angel of death to pass over that family, you guys with me on that one? Passover. In order for the angel of death to pass over that family, In order for the angel of death to not mete out the righteous wrath of God on that family, they would take a lamb, a spotless lamb, they would kill the lamb, and they would take the blood of the lamb, and they'd put it over the doorpost. And anyone who was found under the blood of the lamb, that household was passed over. God's wrath passed over that house. Y'all with me on that? Now, you know what Passover is. 
We've got lambs. We've got Isaac asking Abraham, where's the lamb? We've got the lamb slain whose blood is put over. We have in uh, the law of Moses, we have all this stuff that just drives us absolutely crazy that we don't understand. Things like the sacrificial system where, where because people rebelled against God and the natural inclination of our heart is cosmic treason, namely we want to be God instead of letting God be God, because that is the natural inclination of the heart, God knows that we are going to rebel and sin, and that sin can't be swept under the rug. It's got to be atoned for. To put it another way, our sins, our cosmic trees, and our rebellion against God, that's got to be paid for. Otherwise, God is not just. Oh, and you love justice. I know you love justice. See, right now we're talking about a God of justice, and we're saying, I don't like this. Mm-mm. God of wrath? No, sir. Don't like that at all. I like God to be an old man in heaven giving me Werther's Originals and York Peppermint Patties. That's how I like to think about God. But you love justice when you're wronged. You see, when you and I, when we're the victims of injustice, we rage and scream, God of vengeance, shine forth. But when we are the one who does the wrong, We don't like opening the Psalms. Rather, we say, not justice, but what? How can God justify the ungodly and still be just? Well, we have the lamb, don't we? Yeah, let's just kill some furry quadrupeds. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that God, in his infinite majesty, justice, And justice, do you think that his wrath is satisfied by the death of lamb chops? No, therefore, it must, that is mysterious, isn't it? Therefore, there must be something else that that is pointing to. God has set it up so that you and I could see the utter, the utter, despair and death that comes with our rebellion. The injustice, cosmic injustice that we commit when we sin against God. And he points to that penalty being death as the lamb is slain. But he shows us also a hint of mercy and grace. And then you have Christmas. And many years later, John the Baptist sees Jesus God in the flesh. He sees him walking towards him. He's with some people around there. And he says, behold. Now, here are some options that he could have said, right? If you're going to announce, now TV time out, if you have the job of announcing Jesus into a room, what what are you going to lead with? You're going to be like, behold, the king and creator of the universe. Would that have been a legitimate option? Behold, the prince of peace who's going to end war. Would that have been a legitimate option? Behold the great healer who's going to make us all whole again. Would that have been a legitimate option? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The mystery is unveiled. The mystery is made known. God's divine purposes manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. And that Lamb was slain. That Lamb of God was slain. Why? Was it just to show that we should be nice to people? A lot of people think that to be a Christian is to be nice. They don't know half of you. 
To be a Christian is to recognize that Jesus has paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left its crimson stain, but he washed me white as snow. Now, do you know that? I don't mean do you know that. Here. Do you know that? I'm going to ask you to contemplate some statements, and these are summaries of biblical truths, and if it helps to close your eyes, I'd encourage you to do that. I'm not going to do anything weird. Um, Just contemplate on this before we take of Lord's table in communion. Because the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, was slain for you and for me, the enemy becomes friend. Do you know what it's like to be an enemy? Reconcile. That because of God, the Lamb of God, slain for you and me, taking away the sins of the world, the outsider is brought in. Do you know what it feels like to be an outsider? Do you know that you have been brought in? That because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was slain for you and for me, the orphan is made son and daughter. Do you know what it is to be orphaned from God? Do you not know that he calls you son and daughter? Because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the despairing are made joyful. Do you know what it is to despair? Do you know what it is to taste the joy of the Lord? Because of the Lamb of God, the stranger is made sibling, brother and sister. Do you know what it is to be estranged? Do you know what it is to be reconciled? Because of the Lamb of God, the foreigner is made neighbor. Do you know what it is to feel like a foreigner who has been brought close? Because of the Lamb of God, the rebel is made ally. Do you know what it is to rebel against your creator and to now be called friend? Because of the Lamb of God, the empty are made full. Do you know what it is to feel emptiness? Do you know what it tastes like to experience the fullness of God's joy? Because of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who is slain for you and for me, the broken are made whole. The sinner is made saint. The soul at war is now at rest. Do you know what it is to feel the peace of the Lord? Do you know him? I'm going to ask Enrique and Cassie, some of our student ministry leaders, to come and to lead us in the taking of Lord's table together. As we reflect on these truths, let us cling to that gospel. So what? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he's given his life for you? If you do, so what? You and I, we are called, for those of us who follow after Jesus, we are called to share the good news. Not because we want to win an argument. In fact, I would argue that no one gets argued into the kingdom of heaven. 
We don't do it to win. We do it to serve. We don't do it out of ambition. We do it out of love. We share the message of the gospel just as Doug shared the good news of his doctor. I was sick like you are sick. I can't fix you, but I know someone who can. I can't make you whole, but I know someone who can. We oftentimes will worry, for those of us that are Christians, we worry about what to say. We worry about how to talk about Jesus without sounding weird. I know most of you, you're already weird. Get over that. (laughs) If we go through life not obedient to Jesus because it might possibly be awkward, we have probably failed to realize that to follow Jesus is to take up our cross. Moreover, you are not here by mistake. Scriptures teach us that the time and the place that we live has been ordained by God. I truly believe that there are people right now in your sphere of influence, in your workplace, in your school, in your family, in your neighborhood, there are people right now who under their breath or in the middle of the night are praying, God, if you're real, God, if you love me, would you show me, would you tell me? And I fundamentally believe that you are the answer to that prayer. That God desires for you to be the embodiment of the love of Christ in that person's life, the answer to their prayer. And the thing of it is, you never know until it's over. You never know if it's gonna work until it happens because you're not in control. I'm not in control. I'm not the one who sovereignly ordains all things to come to pass, but I serve one who is, and he tells me to proclaim the good news to people around me. I used to be sick like you're sick. I used to be broken like you're broken, and I know someone who can make you whole. It's an act of love. We must be a people who live this good news. This can't just be religious tradition, man. Listen, if all we're gonna do for the next 40 years is make this about religious tradition, I'm done. Like, I don't wanna do that. That sounds lame. Like, if we're not about the gospel penetrating people's lives, if we're not about people like Isaac taking a stand saying Jesus is all, all to him I owe, if we're not about this, I'm done. But if we, should the Lord tarry, will be faithful to his call, I truly believe that this city, future generations, and the world will be transformed. I mean, do you believe it's possible that Phoenix could be known for the gospel? If you don't, I don't think you fully come to terms with the fact that a dude showed up, said he was God, we killed him, and then three days later he rose from the grave conquering over Satan's sin and death. He could transform this city and he chooses to use the church. Listen, look at verse uh, uh, 10, excuse me. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. How is it Okay, so Jesus, so all that lamb stuff, right, furry quadruped, all that pointed to Jesus, Jesus showed up. John the Baptist said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus says, I am God in the flesh. I'm dying for you. We killed him. He died on Good Friday. On Easter, he rose from the grave. And before he ascended into heaven, promising one day to return to make all things right, he started a church. 
and he put that church on a mission. And he said, you will be my ambassadors. You will be my witness to the world of this good news. The church does not exist for itself. We exist for the world. You are a missionary. There's 250,000 people in a five-mile radius of this campus that have yet to know Christ in community through a Christ-proclaiming church. 250,000 people, and you can't minister to all of them, but you can minister to some of them. We're all missionaries. You want to know where your mission field is? I'm glad you asked. We've got a map. That's us. That's us. You guys see those dots? That's every household that calls Desert Springs their church home. I want you to think about in your school. I want you to think about at work. I want you, some of us are like, people live in Tempe and they drive here. I don't know what's wrong with them either. I don't know. I think Tyler Johnson would love to have you over at Redemption Church, but you know, I'm glad you're here. We're there. That's your mission field. I want you to think about your school, the people who sit at the desks around you, where your locker is, the one on the right and the one on the left. I want you to think about your workplace, wherever you work, whether it's a cubicle or a mechanic shop. I want you to think about the people who work around you in your immediate space, where you live, in your apartment, in your, in your house, in your trailer, wherever you live. I want you to think about the people who live across the way. I want you to think about the people who live to the left and the right. Jesus loves them. They may have yet to know the love of Jesus. And you might be an answer to that prayer. In fact, I believe you can never go wrong in talking to someone about how Jesus has ministered to you. Like, he never says, hey, there's a, like, you're gonna sin if you don't do it the right way. You just do it. You just go for it, Right? And if you feel awkward about it, just give awkward a big fat kiss and get over yourself. This city is not known for the gospel because we are being persecuted. It's because we're apathetic. It's not externally imposed by force, we're prohibited from proclaiming the gospel. Think of how blessed we are. It's not for lack of opportunity. It's apathy. I don't want to guilt you into feeling like you have to go check a box. That's not at all what it's about. Like, I, it, it, please don't walk out of here feeling like I, gotta go, I, I have to go talk to people. I want you to think about my friend Doug. If you have been healed, allow that to dictate whatever you do next. And whatever that is, that's between you and God. Like, that's not on me. Like, I don't, I'm not keeping track of you. I got my own problems. But if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, what will you do in response to that? What we're gonna do right now is we're gonna put this uh, a little bit into practice. Uh, a few years ago, my predecessor, Rick Eford, who served faithfully here for 30 years and who continues to be my pastor, he took this hammer. This is the hammer of progress. It says progress on it. It's a hammer of progress. And he took this hammer and he went back there and he punched a hole in the wall. And he said, what we're gonna do today, and this was back then, he said, we're, gonna, we're just gonna think about the people, right? The, the people that surround us in our schools, in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhoods. And we're just gonna think about them. And then we're gonna pray, Lord, who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to minister to? Who do you want me to have over for dinner? Who can I reach out to? 
And they wrote them down. They wrote names down on little cards just like this. And they fold them up and they put them in the wall as an act of commitment to the Lord to be a people who reach out. And as a remembering, every time we walk past that wall, we think, that's right, I'm supposed to be praying and reaching out. It may well be that one day, someone whose name that's in that wall will be baptized in that baptismal because of your faithfulness to the Lord. I want you to put those pieces together in your mind. That it takes one person sharing the gospel with another person, prayerfully and in submission to the Lord, to transform, radically to transform a life. 